I'm just kidding. But that's not what this is. It will play a part in an illustration uh, coming up. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Would you look there please? We're going to begin reading in verse number 3. If you're there, say I'm there. Actually, let's pick up in verse number 5, okay? Verse number 5. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Now, let me pause a moment. Our main text is actually going to be the verses that follow this. I wanted at least to mention to you a little bit of what is said for context purposes so you know what's going on. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and he is getting them ready. They promise to give a gift. Now the gift they're about to give is going to help with the saints who are in Jerusalem and much of the persecution they've been through. You can read a little bit more about that in the chapter before this. It's a great missions chapter. By the way, if you're a guest here today, uh, let me take this opportunity to tell you that we're honored you're here. Uh, The timing of your visit, uh, you may find a little uncomfortable. So let me just say to you that we're glad you're here. February, though, is Stewardship Missions Month. And so in February, we're kind of focusing in on some things that we don't spend a lot of time on the rest of the year. And so if you were to come back later on sometime, you would not hear these type of messages. So I just want to clarify, although we're, we're very glad you're here, we hope you come back for the rest of February as well and we'll be focusing in on some thoughts today that are a little different than we normally than we normally do verse number six look at verse six but this I say he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully so let each one give as he purposes in his heart not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver You probably have noticed that when our church talks about offering time, there's this great applause that takes place and this cheering. And I I think that's incredible. Uh, When I first came here and saw that, I I was moved by that. Maybe some of you the same when you first came here and you saw the church do that. I hope we never lose that. But the truth is we should look at giving as something we're excited about being able to do. We should, uh, we sing this song, uh, he's a good, good father. This is a time for us to brag on God, a time for us to talk about the goodness that God has shown toward us and so that's why the verses say what they say and it deals with a cheerful giver I hope you'll remember that verse because it's going to come back in a little while as a person purposes in their heart there are some people who believe this verse overrides many other scriptures and it does not but they believe that And we'll talk about that in just a minute, okay? So uh, uh, let's move on. Verse number eight. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Now I'm going to pause there for just a minute. We'll read a little bit more from our text as we go. But let me establish that what the verse said we just read was that some of what God gives to us is so that we will have all sufficiency. For that we should say amen. Amen. That we might have all of our needs met in other words. But then also there is a category of abundance for every good work. So some of what God gives to us 
is not for our sufficiency. It's to be able to partake in good works, whatever those may be. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask you to bless today, God, and I, I pray that you'd help us, Lord. I pray you'd help us to comprehend what you have for us, Lord, that we might indeed experience your blessings, God, and may your blessings be abundant upon your people, Lord. And I just thank you so much for this great church and each person that's here today, Lord, those who are guests today, Lord, those who are longtime members, God, I pray for each, and I pray you'd speak to our hearts. Lord, let us hear from you. We pray for the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I read a story this past week about a, a lady who was invited, a parent who was invited to a pre-marriage counsel session with her son and his fiance. And uh, the pastor had uh, given to the young couple some papers they were supposed to fill out, a little questionnaire type thing. And, and when the young man got to the last question, he paused. And the last question simply read, are you doing this at your own free will? And he looked over at his fiance and she looked at him with a stern look and said, put yes. <laughs> we might say they're probably getting off to a bad start. So if I were to say to you that the message today is about money, you would probably say, we're probably getting off to a bad start. This is a topic you don't hear much about today. People don't want to preach on it. People say, even church members will sometimes come to me, let alone guests. But church members will come and say, Pastor, why did you have to do that? I invited so-and-so and you preached on money. And you know how people are about money. Well, let me share something with you so we get this out of the way uh, real quick. Like, I pray for you every day. I do. I pray for you every day. I pray that God would bless our people that are associated with East Point and God would open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on you. I pray that every morning in my study, I pray that prayer. And it is my heart's desire to see you blessed. I've entitled this sermon, The Windfall. Windfall is actually an old word and it actually came about as a result of what the wind would do with trees that bore fruit, such as the apple tree in the picture that you see. This is an apple orchard. And when the wind would blow and shake the trees and the fruit would fall in abundance, those, those that were collected were considered to be part of the windfall. Well, the term has come to mean something different in the world that we live in. Matter of fact, all these we have slides for if you want to bring some of those definitions up so everybody can follow along with us on the definitions. But it's actually come to mean a uh, major financial blessing or profit that is received. So when people talk about getting a windfall, they're talking about God just blessing them. Or uh, if they're not saved, they think, well, it's just a major thing. It's a major abundant profit that has been given to me. Now I happen to believe that God wants to bless us. I think he wants to bless his people. And what we're going to look at today is uh, four observations out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have a study sheet, you might want to follow along and fill in the blanks with us as we go. Uh, but uh, just to point out to you something that is of interest uh, maybe to some, the Bible speaks a lot about money. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught a lot about it. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught were concerning money or possessions and how to handle them. Out of the Gospels alone, those, four, those first four books of the New Testament, uh, one out of ten verses, 288 verses total, deal directly with the subject of money. 
You may not know this, but out of all the verses in the Bible, about 500 verses are given concerning prayer, a little less than 500 on the subject of faith, but more than 2,000 verses in the Bible deal with the subject of money and possessions. Now, why would God do that? Unless we needed to hear the biblical perspective of money and possessions. Would you agree? All right. It was a better amen than I thought I would get anyway. That, that's not too bad. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll go with that. Let's, let's jump in because I have more material here than I can possibly cover in one service. And so I'm going to try my best to get through this with you. I would encourage you to go online. Our sermons are normally posted a day or two after you hear them live. So you can go online and listen again to this because chances are there's going to be a lot of information that's going to blow by you. And, uh, and hopefully you can go back on and listen to it and gain a few more things. But the first observation I want you to notice with me, we're going to call our activity. Our activity. Now what do we mean by that? Well the Bible says that uh, this I say, verse 6, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I want to interpret the term reap bountifully with the word we've used for our title. Windfall. So what the Bible's saying is, if you will sow bountifully, you're going to experience a windfall. That's what it's saying. Now, you say, preacher, is this prosperity gospel? No, it is not. We're talking about conditional blessings, and God has them, and we need to understand that. God does establish for us that if we do certain things, certain things will happen. Let me put it in perspective this way. If you never go out here to the river or you never go over here to uh, the intercoastal or offshore, uh, let me put it another way. If you never cast a line in order to catch a fish, you're not going to catch a fish. And if you don't sow seed, you need not expect anything to reap. You say, uh, I don't have a garden in my backyard. Well, uh, did you plant anything in your backyard? The, the, what I'm trying to say to you is this, it's a, it's a very simple thing that without sowing, we need not expect reaping. It, that's all there is to it. So if you're not sowing the proper things concerning your financial blessings at home, you're not going to reap the things that God says you need to reap or that you really believe you want to reap. I don't know anybody that doesn't want God's blessings on their life. I've, I've yet to meet that person. If you happen to be that person, please come see me after the service. So I'll quit saying that after 35 years of pastoring. That I've never met that person who said, I don't want God's blessings on my home or I don't want God. We all do. We all want that. There's no one that does not want that. We pray that way. We live that way. We act that way. We want God to bless us. So my question for you is, what are you doing in order to get that? Are you sowing? Because God said if you're going to sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. If you sow sparingly, then you can expect a very sparing, if you will, a sparse reaping that's going to take place. If you skip down a little bit further with me in our text, look at verse 10. I've skipped over one verse, but uh, you're not really, uh, I don't think missing much there, uh, not to take away from the validity of the scripture by any means, but verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now let me pause a moment. Notice what it says. Someone supplies seed to the sower. That someone, the pronoun is he, and the he is God. 
So God supplies you with what it is that you're supposed to be sowing. He gives it. So the seed comes from God. Now, he says some of it is for your food. And it says bread for your food. Supply and multiply the seed you have sown. So some of it is for sowing. Now we're going to come back to that thought in a minute. But let me give you a passage out of Proverbs. If you want to write down this reference. It, it may come up on the board. Proverbs 3 verses 9 and 10. Proverbs 3 verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions. And with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. Windfall. Reap bountifully. Barns filled with plenty. Those are all things we all want. But the question is, are we doing what it takes in order to get those things from God? And are there certain things we need to do? Let me deal with these bags in front of you for just a minute, okay? I'll explain these to you. We're going to be coming back to them. There are 10 of them, if you haven't already counted them, unless somebody from the band took some of my money. I don't... No. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, so we have ten of them. And of these, basically these ten bags represent this. They represent everything God has given to me, if you will. And in your case, if you'll make the application personal, they represent everything God has given to you. And from that resource, we take care of various things. We pay the mortgage on our house. We pay for our automobile. We pay for our lights. We pay, we, we pay for our phones. We uh, pay for uh, internet and cable and insurances. And, and we put away a little bit for savings. And, and we use it for medical costs. And, and we do all of that. With all of this, we live uh, by what he has given to us. Keep in mind now what the Bible is telling us is how we sow has a lot to do with what we will reap. Having said that, our activity is important, and I'm going to move to the second point with you, okay? Follow along with me. And the second thing that we observe is our attitude. Our attitude. Not only our activity is mentioned, but our attitude toward giving is mentioned. Right away, when you deal with the subject of money, in a church, people get upset. I mean, it just happens. Now, nobody in East Point, I know, but other churches have this problem. <laughs> You can't deal with this subject. They get bothered by it. And do you know why people are bothered at this subject? I believe this. I think it comes down to this one very simple thought. And I'm going to give it to you. Ownership versus stewardship. This is the thought that separates us on this subject. Why do some people have no problem at all with, with, um, uh, with uh, giving or talking about money uh, and other people have a lot of problems with it. They just don't like the subject and, and it bothers them. They don't think that pastors ought to go there. Even though we just mentioned all of the times that Jesus spoke on the subject and all of the verses in the Bible, they, they don't want to address that because they think now you're dealing with something, listen, that is theirs. If you have an ownership mentality, then an ownership mentality basically says this. The ownership says, I have what I have because I have worked hard. I am a self-made individual, somebody might say. That's an ownership mentality. 
What it means is that anytime there is a request given or a lesson taught about giving, particularly to the Lord's work, someone thinks that they are giving of their own because they are the owner. But a stewardship mentality is quite different than that. To be a steward means that you do not own it, you manage it, and it belongs to someone else. Who does it belong to? Well, the biblical view is it all belongs to God. You say, wait a minute, I cash this and put this in my checking account, not God's checking account. That's ownership mentality. As a matter of fact, the Bible deals with ownership mentality and it is usually associated with a great love for money. You probably are familiar with the verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 10, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with much sorrow. Let me say to you a couple of things that that verse teaches. First of all, it's the love of money, not money itself, that is a problem. There's nothing wrong with money. As a matter of fact, God made Abraham very wealthy. God made Solomon more wealthy than any other individual ever in the history or future of the world concerning the amount of wealth that he was worth. And God did it all. So God is not anti-wealth. On the contrary, the, the stewardship mentality is in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18, we read this, this phrase, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So the owner says, I have what I have because I'm pretty smart. I have what I have because I have worked really hard. I have what I have because of me and therefore it is mine. The stewardship mentality says, I have what I have because God has blessed me and given to me the power to accumulate this. He has given me the wisdom that I need. He has given me the ability to work. He has given to me the energy that is necessary. He has put in my heart and in my mind what to do. And he has blessed those efforts. So he then is the owner of it all, not me. You see the difference? If I were to talk to you for a moment about you, let me put it in perspective this way. I went to your bank and I put your name down and I took all of this money out of your account. Now I know that doesn't bother you because you know I didn't do that and you know that can't be done. But if it could be done, you'd be bothered. Because somebody else is controlling what belongs to you. The truth of the matter is, is God in control of your stuff or are you in control of your stuff? And who gave it to you to begin with? Do you really believe you're the owner of it? Now follow with me because this is the mentality that separates the attitude toward giving. We cheerfully give or we grudgingly give. We don't mind it being talked about. Matter of fact, we'll encourage it being talked about or we refuse to talk about it. We don't even want to hear anything about it. It has to do with ownership versus stewardship mentality. The ownership mentality is actually spoken of in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. I'm going to quote from the uh, standard, the English standard version. It, it reads this way. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
I like that version of that scripture because it clearly says money. It doesn't use the word mammon, which is material possessions. But, uh, but the verse is very clear. You can't serve God and money. You cannot do it. Now, people throughout the ages have tried, and people still try. And the verse we read earlier that Paul wrote to young Timothy, he said, some have strayed from their faith. What does that mean? Even believers have trouble with this. Just because you got saved doesn't mean your wallet did. <laughs> Amen? Just because you got saved doesn't mean you got this thing right. We can still be off. We can still have an ownership mentality versus a stewardship mentality. But it all has to come down to what our attitude is. Psalm 24 in verse number 1. The attitude of a steward is being spoken of. A psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and its fullness. The world and those who dwell, there, who dwell therein. So either it all belongs to God or God has most of it and you have the rest of it. Ownership versus stewardship. What did David believe? David, the king of Israel. I happen to believe he's a great example of stewardship. Listen to what he said in 1 Chronicles 29 and verse number 14. When he was gathering together a large amount of things in order that the temple would be built, this is what he said. But who am I? He's praying. This is a prayer. But who am I? And who are my people? that we should be able to offer so willingly as this. For the things come from you. For all things come from you. And of your own we have given you. That's stewardship mentality. Wait a minute. Everything is his. He doesn't. Here, here's the difference. Ownership says God is trying to take away from me an offering and a tithe. Stewardship mentality says, God said I can keep 90% of it. That's a huge difference in perspective. God is trying to take away from me. Or God said I can keep so much. Incredible. Who owns it? Are we a steward or an owner? You have to settle that issue before you can go much farther. And then number three, let me talk about another observation. And that is our assurance. And this is a very important point. I'm going to try not to spend forever on this point with you, but it's probably the most lengthy of the four. But thankfully, I only have four and you're already on number three. Amen? <laughs> I know why some of you come to the early service. It's because you know I got to finish in time for the second service. So <laughs> you're a smart group of people. You are. Our assurance. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He said, uh, verse 7, So let each one, as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly <coughs> give, uh, that is, uh, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Now let me pause there for just a minute. What is the ability of God? Now don't answer that out loud, but think about it. What kind of ability does God have? In your study sheet, I've given you a place for three things, but there's actually four I'm about to give you, okay? I apologize. I didn't get that fourth line in there for you to fill in. So you have to find a place you can write it in, maybe on the back even, to help you out. So let's talk about the ability of God for just a minute. Number one in your notes, if you want to write it down, what can God do? He can make things last. God can make things last. There's an incredible powerful scripture 
Mentioned many times in the word of God, I will read to you only one of them, but it appears several times, including the New Testament, including the book of, of uh, Nehemiah. But this particular one, let me make note of it, Deuteronomy 29 and verse number 5, and I have led you 40 years in the wilderness, your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn on your feet. 40 years. Now I know what some of you ladies are thinking. 40 years without new shoes. That's impossible. That's a miracle. Amen. 40 years. Now, now they lived itinerant life. They, they moved from tent to tent. They walked everywhere they went. For 40 years their sandals did not wear out and their garments did not grow old. It's a God thing. Can God actually make stuff last? There's a wonderful story in the Bible. In 1 Kings chapter 17, it is uh, without a doubt one of my favorite. The prophet of God, Elijah, is, uh, is told to go to a little widow, a little widow woman in a little town called Zarephath. There's a great drought going on. There's no food anywhere. When he arrives on the scene, the little widow woman says, uh, look, I don't have anything. I'm just gathering a couple sticks. We're going to eat our last meal, my son and I, and we're going to eat it and we're going to die. And Elijah says, that's okay. Uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, uh, do as you said, but bring me something first. I'll pick up reading First, uh, first Kings 17 verse 13. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first. I want you to get that word first. We read it earlier and I passed over it, the first fruits out of Proverbs, but I'm going to be dealing with it in a moment with you. So uh, make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son for thus says the Lord God of Israel the bin of flour shall not be used up nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth so she went and did according to the word of Elijah and she and he and her household ate for many days the story is an incredible story. It's a story that goes against what some of us think the story should go like. For instance, notice that there's only a little bit of meal and there is never more than a little bit of meal. But there is never less than a little bit of meal. I don't understand that. I don't understand why you, you scoop out one, uh, one cup of meal and that's all you had and you put it over here and you look back in the barrel and there's still a cup. I don't understand that. That's a God thing. Yeah. I don't understand how you can walk in the desert for 40 years and your garments never wear out. I don't understand how your shoes don't wear out. I don't understand. Why? Because God is a God who can make things last. If you are busy serving the Lord, then some things you have, you might want to get rid of, but it won't break down. <laughs> Am I right? You keep looking for somebody to give it to because it won't quit. It's something God does. He has the ability to do that. Secondly, number two, he can open the window of heaven and pour out blessings. He can open the window of heaven. And pour out blessings. And those blessings can be so great that you cannot contain them. You, you can't, you don't know what to do with them. You say, where's that at? Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. 
Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Somebody has said this is the only place in the word of God that God actually says prove me or try me. Prove me or try me. Just try me, God said. See what I will do with this. Does God have the ability to make things last? I think he does. I think the Bible clears that up. Does God have the ability to open the window of heaven? I think he does. The Bible says he does. He has that ability to do that. <clears throat> but this is a conditional thing. He mentions the tithe in this. He said bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now the closest thing we have to the storehouse is actually the local church in today's society and that's from where the ministry is conducted. And the word tithe literally means tenth. Let me give this to you a little bit uh, ahead of where I was going to do it in my sermon. But let me share this with you. In Genesis chapter 12, the first time we see the word tithe, it is when Abraham comes to Melchizedek and gives to him tithe. The same exact story is recorded in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 7 and verse number 4. And instead of using the word tithe in that verse, it uses the term tenth. Somebody says, well, a tithe is not always tenth. No, the word tithe means tenth. If you looked it up in the Hebrew, you would come up with the word tenth. When it is translated in the New Testament, it is the word tenth. A tithe is never more than 10% and it is never less than 10%. A tithe is a tenth. So let me move a step farther with you. Now let me, uh, let me give this to you. Uh, the Bible says, uh, verse, uh, let me see, verse 30 of Leviticus 27. Okay, and we're about to do something with one of our bags, so hold on, okay? Uh, we're not going to make it disappear, but we're going we're gonna, <laughs> to we're gonna show you something. Leviticus 27, verse number 30, and uh, verse uh, 31. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Now let me pause there at verse 30. Don't go any further yet, okay? It is holy to the Lord. All right, so here's what we're going to do. I have a little gold bag here. Well, it's yellow, but we're going to call it gold, okay? Because it represents that which is holy. So we're going to look at what God has given to us and we're going to take a tenth of it and we're going to put it in this bag because that marks it as holy. That's what God said the tithe was. So that belongs to him. We're going to sit it right there. Okay? So keep an eye on that yellow bag that belongs to God for just a minute. Now let me read verse 31 to you. This is an important verse. Verse 31, same chapter. Leviticus 27, if a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. Now what I'm telling you, there are a lot of people in this world today have never read and never paid attention to. God charges interest for using what belongs to him. It's 20%. It's one-fifth part. So if I have in this bag $100, I only do that because I'm not real good at math and it makes it easy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
If I have in this bag $100 and I decide to use it some other place, I redeem it, that is I pull it back from God and I've used it some other place, to be right with the Lord, God expects when I get it back to him, it'll be $120. I add one-fifth part. You say, why are you saying that to us? I want you to have the blessings of God on your life and you need to know the biblical principles. Say, tithing is part of the Levitical law. We already said Abraham began the process. Abraham lived hundreds of years before there was a Levitical law. Let's put it down in our minds on a timeline. There was Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob and his children. He had all the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph went into Egypt. 400 years later, a guy named Moses was born. Led them out of Egypt. God gave them the law. So about 500 years before there was ever a Levitical law, tithing was practiced by Abraham and it was noted by Jacob. Jacob said, God, if you will bless me, I will give back to you a tenth of all that you do for me. I want to share a little story with you for what it's worth before I get into number three on our, on our list, okay? Um, I'm going to call the guy Fred. This is a true story, but that is not his name. And the reason I'm not using his real name is because he'd get angry with me. And he does sometimes listen and his family listens to our, our uh, broadcast on, online. And so uh, I don't want to expose who he is. But um, here's his testimony. When I met him and had the privilege of pastoring him, he was up in his years, and this was his story. He got fired when he was young. He had two children and had to have some way of uh, feeding his family. So he went to God. He said, God, I, I don't know what to do. He was in the printing business. He had lost his job. So he bought an old printer, and he told the Lord, he said, God, if you will bless me and bless these efforts, I will give to you. Now listen, this is something also not often thought of today. He said, I will tithe off of the business as well as whatever you give to me personally. You know, there are a lot of people that pull the old IRS thing with God. It, they, they own businesses and they, they bring in all of these profits and blessings but since it's not personal income because they want to limit their, their income for tax purposes they don't attribute that so they only tithe off of that little bit that they get as a salary they don't tithe off of all the other benefits and blessings that God has given to them but this man Fred I'm talking about Fred not us Fred he said I will tithe off of everything you do whatever, whatever you do for me from his garage he opened up that business that business grew to five major printing companies in Dallas and in Austin, Texas. An amazing thing took place. He continued to give off of all of his business as well as off of what he himself earned. He'd be very upset with me for sharing this story, but since I've hidden his name, hopefully we're okay. But the idea behind that is simply this. Can you really get to a point that you honor God and it really does somehow end up with you having less? Or is God in turn able to bless you beyond anything you've, never, you've ever experienced if you just simply follow what it is he taught you to do? So we have this and we've marked it. It's holy unto the Lord and we've given it right there. Well, we have it set aside anyway, okay? Back to our main text. Follow with me for a moment. Back to our main text, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and look in uh, verse number 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you having or always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Okay, now hold on. 
The word of God marks the tithe. It marks a tenth. But what about this? For abundance of good works. Is this the same as the tithe? What if I want to take out of the tithe to do good works? What if I see a homeless guy over here and I just pull this tithe out and I go give it to him because that's a valid cause. I'm going to deal with that in just a minute. Or, or is what the Lord actually teaching this, that the tithe belongs to him, but out of the abundance that he has given us, portion of that is to sow seed, to give to good works. God has blessed us with that and expects us to use that for that and not to determine with it whatever we do with it. It may not be a full 10%. I'm not trying to illustrate that. But it is out of that 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 may come. Just bear with me for a moment. So then, uh, what if we choose to ignore this? What if we look at the passage of scripture we read earlier in verse 7 that let each one give as he purposes in his heart. And let's say that it's all about what you purpose in your heart, that tithing is not part of the New Testament teaching whatsoever. And, and I would remind you of Matthew chapter 23 and verse number 23 where Jesus said, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anus and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone this is Jesus New Testament he said you know what you're paying tithes off of stuff that you increase by but you're leaving out some of these weightier matters. Jesus never said anything about, you don't have to worry about the tithe anymore. That's old Levitical law stuff. It was outside the law on both cases, according to the scripture. Okay, so uh, let, me deal with, uh, let me deal with a subject matter here that we do not want to hear about, uh, unfortunately. But Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 8, and it brings us to the third thing that God can do. Would you write it down, please? He can put holes in the bag, reducing what we bring home. Now, now let me recap this for just a minute, okay? He is able to make things last. He is able to open the windows of heaven. And he is actually able to put holes in the bag, reducing what we bring home. You say, that sounds like a cruel thing. Well, just hang on just a minute to me, okay? Don't, don't leave me just yet. Uh, but uh, l let me show you something, okay? Uh, let me use an illustration with you. Would you mind? Let me use a little illustration. Uh, let's say that I came to you and I said to you, uh, here is uh, $100, Brother Steve. I'm going to use Brother Steve. I give Brother Steve 100 bucks. I said, now listen, that, I need you to hang on to that for me. And uh, um, I'm going to come back to you later on for that. And so Brother Steve goes out here and he's got this great heart for people and missions. And, and he sees a homeless guy that really needs something, man. And, and it's a valid need. And Brother Steve reaches in his pocket and realizes, you know all I got is that hundred bucks that pastor gave me but he'll understand because this is a pretty valid need that is over here so he gives him my hundred dollars okay I come back to brother Steve and I say hey brother Steve I got to have that hundred back my mortgage payment is due and I got to be able to meet that mortgage payment I'm a hundred bucks short and he looks at me and says now uh, pastor I, I was certain you would understand I was certain you would understand because there was a valid need and I met that need with what belonged to you. Now I'm about to say something. I'm not intending to upset anybody. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. 
But let me just say, if any of this money is in that money, that is exactly what has happened. You have taken what belongs to the Lord for operation of the mortgage payment and given it to what you believe is a valid cause. And the Lord's house suffers as a result of it. We can't touch that money. That money is set aside. We can't operate off that money. And so we, we begin to strangle. We don't even know we're doing it because we say that's okay. That, that's not, well, let me show you something. Now, um, would you say that Brother Steve had the right to spend my money? No, he didn't. Would you say then that he had stolen that from me? That's probably a strong word. Who would ever use that word? Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Okay. Now, you're still with me, aren't you? You're not real mad at me, aren't you? A little bit. No. All right. Tithe is never less or more than 10%. So what is an offering? Because the Bible says tithes and offerings. An offering is anything above the tithe. You go to the restaurant today and you eat and, and they bring you a bill. And uh, uh, that bill arrives at your table. And if you've had good service from the waitress or waiter, you leave something else besides that bill. You pay the $37 it cost you for the hamburger or the steak or whatever it is that you got. And then you figure in, usually 20%, uh, but you, you figure in whatever you feel comfortable doing. And, and you put that amount on there as a tip. An offering is like tipping God. You don't say, you know what, lady, uh, I love you. I appreciate what you've done today. I tell you what I'm going to do. You've, you've charged me $37 right here, but I'm going to only pay $20 on the bill. I want you to keep the rest. Are you following? You are following me, aren't you? So God, I, you know, out of this money, I think some of it ought to go over there to that and some of it ought to go over here to this and some of it ought to go over here to that. And I think those are all valid. No, no, you don't understand. God said this belongs to him. It's a tenth. Leave it alone. And then this over here, out of here can come your offering because it's over and above. So out of that is where those other things come from. Missions, faith promise missions comes out of that bag, not this bag. Missions is an offering. And you have to pray and spend time with the Lord and look at it. Somebody might say, you know something, Pastor? I could understand what you're saying except for the fact that we're looking at the church has over $400,000 in the bank. I don't have $400,000 in the bank. If the church got that kind of money, then they don't need my money. No, you don't understand. What, what we're talking about doing is between you and God, not you and the church. It's between you and God. If you want his blessings, I'm just giving you the principles that are involved in it. Do you think he keeps record? You better bet he does. He keeps a much better record than anybody else can possibly keep. If you don't believe that, go back and ask yourself, why did they wander in the wilderness for 40 years? Did you know it was because of one year for each day they rebelled against God? Do you know why they spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon? It is because for over a period of some 490 years, they did not observe the seventh year as a sabbatical year, a, a year of rest. God kept record for nearly 500 years. And God's records are impeccable. 
Does God keep record? Does God pay attention? Listen, if you want to position yourself for the blessings of God, this is what we need to do. Okay, so you say, okay, we've robbed God. I got that, Pastor. I understand. If we've taken what belongs to him and we haven't given to him the offerings, then we've robbed God. So what? Well, Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. Beautiful little book of Haggai. You might pronounce it Haggai. I don't know how you pronounce it, but if you're trying to turn to it, you might need to use the table of contents in the, in the beginning of your Bible. Haggai chapter 1, if you're electronic, you're probably already there. Verse 6, you have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. So this is what God said. This is not what your pastor said. This is what God said. He's watching. He's paying attention to. If you can readily identify that by the time you get home, it's a lot less than you thought it was, then what's happening is, as a result of us not serving the way we should, he puts holes in the bag. So by the time you get it home and you count it up, it's not nearly what you thought it should be. God has the ability to make things last. God has the ability to open up the windows of heaven. God also has the ability to put holes in the bag. God is able to make all grace abound. Somewhere we have to make up our mind. Is God a God of the economy? Is God a God that we can trust? Now there is a fourth thing that God is able to do. And I'm going to show that to you. And my time is, is gone. But let me show it to you. He multiplies the seed that is sown. Number four on the list. He multiplies the seed we sow. I've already read the verse of scripture to you out of 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10. So let me give you an illustration. You can take one little kernel of corn and put it into the ground. From that comes a stalk. And on that stalk, two to four ears of corn will sprout. On each ear, there is an average of 800 kernels of corn. God takes one little kernel and multiplies it up to perhaps 3,200 kernels of corn. That's a God thing. Are you listening to me? That's a God thing. You say, well, what little bit that I do for missions probably doesn't matter, so I won't even do it. What little bit you do and what little bit someone else does, God can take and multiply the seed that is sown. It can turn into a remarkable thing if we'll just let God do what God can do. 
There is a fourth point to all of this that I want to give you a fourth observation and that is our assignment. Our assignment. We read it earlier that we should have an abundance for every good work. There's a portion of what God has given us. We, we pay all of our bills. We take care of all of our things. And, and then there's a portion of this that belongs, belongs to him. And it really should be given first as a first fruit. So we get it out of the way. Uh, somebody came to me Wednesday night and they said, Pastor, we thought of you earlier today. We had leftover broccoli for dinner. <laughs> I said, that's horrible. That's two horrible things. One, leftovers. Two broccoli. That's horrible, man. That's like a double sin. I don't know. If you're hanging on to this and you don't give God of the first fruits, then you're not giving him priority. Here's what we tend to do sometimes. Well, we know that belongs to the Lord, but here's what we've got. We get all of this stuff over here. Now let's pay this bill, pay that bill, pay. And if we have left, we give to God out of the leftovers. Only this is what tends to happen sometimes if we're not careful. You know this unexpected thing happened? This thing happened, that thing, whatever it may be. God will understand. I just need a little bit of his to make up the difference. My responsibility is to report to you the scripture. It's up to you as to whether or not you adhere to it and apply it and assimilate it into your life. If you want God's blessings in your life, understand the assignment that he has given us. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You cannot take what belongs to the local church and send it around the world. It's got to come out of an offering portion somewhere. Why? Because doing the other is like our Sunday school lesson this morning said in our ABF. And those of you that were there, you may have heard this statement. Doing missions without taking care of the local church, it's like paying your light bill but refusing to pay your mortgage payment. Soon you won't have a house or lights either one. If we gave everything we've got to missions, what a grand and noble thought that is. But then what happens to the local church ministry? We strangle it. The light that shines farthest shines brightest at home. I know a lot of what I'm sharing with you is difficult to handle. But ultimately what it boils down to is this thought. Will you let God give through you what he will not necessarily give to you? In our main text, verse number 8 read... Having all sufficiency in all things may have abundance for every good work. Missions would be considered a good work. It's a, great, it's a great work. It is a work that God has told us we should be involved in, reaching the world with the gospel. So that's where it has to come from. James chapter 4 verse 3 reads this way, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. I've written in the margin of my notes this, this comment. God will stop giving to us if we're not willing to allow him to give through us. God is not looking to just heap upon us greater bank accounts. He wants us to do something for his honor and his glory with it. And if he knows we will, then he will. So we pray. And we ask God to bless and if we find ourselves in violation to the laws or the principles that God has laid out, we correct it. We get it right.
We ask God to help us and forgive us and then we get it right. And I don't know where you are right now in your own life personally, but I want to encourage you to Take a moment and think about it with me and let's pray together. Father, we come to you today, Lord, and we ask you to bless. God, I know this is a difficult passage to deal with. I know it's a difficult subject.